Hi, my name is Dominique, and together with my team, we produce the content for our weekly Swisspreneur episodes. I hope you enjoyed today's show. People start their uh, research online, they have a lot of information, but at some point, there's just some uh, last things that they need to solve. And that's when they come to the store. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Peter, you are the co-founder and CEO of View Eyewear. It's a pleasure to have you here. A very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about the View story. Uh, before we actually do that, I also like to talk about your background. You studied banking and finance at the University of St. Gallen in Switzerland and also had a job in the industry afterwards at Noble Biocare. Mm-hmm. How did that prepare you for the startup life, for becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, studying banking and finance was, uh, for me, the outcome was that I didn't want to go into banking. So, I mean, <laughs> it's also learning probably, right? Um, so I did a few internships uh, during university and um, consulting was always uh, something that interested me. Um, but on the other hand, I also wanted to be close to company, you know, not jumping from one ship to the other. So I um, joined Noble Biocare, which is a dental implant company. And uh, I started there in the business development uh, department. So also there, you know, um, I think it was a good step into the, you know, the business environment. And, you know, Noble Biocare is a, is a company. It's not too big and not too small. So it's a global company. But still, uh, you could have a good overview of everything that, that uh, happens there. You know, it's smaller than one of these big con- conglomerates. And I think for me, it was super interesting to see, you know, how a company works inside out and you could see the different functions um, what you needed to have and, and how it is run and I think it, that was a, <clears throat> a tremendous uh, learning opportunity um, then also building up our own company uh, I could see you know what ca- kind of things you need and you know just jumping into a startup uh, without having any practical experience I think that that would uh, be much harder absolutely and another important point, you also usually meet a lot of people at university. Yeah. View has five co-founders. Can you talk a bit more about how you as five founders actually met and how you also split the roles yeah. across each other? Yeah, so uh, during my time at the university, I met Killian, um, our CEO and uh, also co-founder. And we uh, became good friends. And uh, after university, we also went traveling to South America. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time together and even, you know, being around each other for 24-7, uh, we still got along super well. And even at that point in time, we thought, okay, maybe at some point we could also work together because, you know, the, just the, the chemistry is, is good. Um, but then after university, I mean, he joined uh, McKinsey, I joined Noble Biocare, uh, and it was then not until a couple of years later where... Um, I was. Uh, I went on a sabbatical, did a world trip, and he came back from Brazil, where he was working. And that was the time when we developed, you know, some some ideas, you know, what we could do, and maybe we could also start something up. And we had 
I think at that time, crazy ideas, you know, software companies, uh, food deliveries, uh, things like that. But it was also at that point when um, we noticed that the eyewear market and basically from a consumer perspective. So um, did, did you have like the frustrating experience there or what yes, made you yes, particularly attracted much, to that market? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So both Killian and I, we wear glasses and I, at that time I went to buy glasses. And for me, I went into that shop and it was a very traditional uh, optician shop. And to me, also coming from the dental industry, uh, it reminded me a little bit of a dentist appointment and not so much of a, of a retail experience, you know. And that's when we started to think about that market. And, you know, I think for a long time, not many things have happened in that market. So it's basically the same structure, the same players as 20 years ago. And we just started to think, okay, there must be something in there that, you know, could be made better. Um, but at the same time, we also knew that, you know, we came from the University of St. Gallen, where you learn a lot of things, but not designing glasses. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was not on the curriculum. Um, and then a friend of ours, he knew Fabrice and Christian. And these guys, they um, had a small design agency and they also designed glasses for other companies. So we basically went to them and also pitched them the idea and said, hey guys, let's do something together. And obviously uh, they were skeptical, um, as you also should be if two business guys come around with, <laughs> with an idea, but not much more. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we discussed, it was a nice conversation, but then in the end we said, okay, let's see what happens. And approximately one or two months later, we went back to them and we said, uh, okay guys, we quit our jobs. So we are ready to roll. You already did that. Yeah, yeah then. then we did it because we, we knew, okay, we have to do something. And you know, at some point you have to push the button. And I think that that was also the, the situation when uh, Fabrice and Christian, they noticed, okay, these guys are serious, right? So there is probably a bit more to that than uh, just uh, an idea on a paper. You put the money where the mouth is, right? Yeah. So we tried to, you know, <laughs> and also at that time, it was, it was also quite easy. And now we didn't have any family, you know, not much, not high fixed costs or so on. So we said, okay, let's take the risk and uh, let's try it out. Yeah. So then basically it was the four of us. And then the fifth uh, founding member was uh, Dominic Müller, um, optician from Zurich. Um, who has his own business on the side, but uh, we said, okay, we also need to have that competence um, on the team, obviously. And I think that's, that's uh, probably also, you know, one of the success factors that we had in the founding team, five people, and but everyone basically brought something to the table that was beneficial for the company. And how do you actually know, find this, this common ground that the five of you together should actually start a company and not that you and Kilian, for example, and the others are more like treated as suppliers, for example, doing the work for you, but getting paid not as co-founders, but more as suppliers. Yeah, yeah. How do you make these decisions? I think um, Fabrice and Christian, they also had other businesses that they started before and they were very entrepreneurial. And I think they, they also pushed for it. They said, hey guys, if we do this, we also want to be part of it. And uh, I think that was uh, a good push also for them. Um, also, they had, you know, other companies like Question that they um, founded before that. They had a, co um, a coffee shop. Um, they had other things that they did. 
and I think it was just the, the entrepreneurial mindset was really there. And that's, you know, how it went, uh, how, it, how it started, basically. Absolutely. I'd also like to talk a bit about the market opportunity that you already tackled a bit. Uh, when doing our research, we realized that the market in Switzerland alone for eyewear is actually much bigger than we thought. It's yeah. about one billion in Switzerland alone uh, per year. So how do you actually also, you know, tackle this market and saw that the opportunity, except from the feeling that you had as a customer, what else did you see like uh, as a market chance, what you could actually solve? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, that was also the challenge that we heard from a lot of people. And a lot of people said, hey guys, um, the eyewear market is already taken. So the, the, these are the, the big chains and the, the small traditional opticians. So, I mean, what do you, you, you have no right to play there. And even my parents were a bit afraid, you know, when I told them I want to start an optical business. Right. <laughs> they said, yeah, but, uh, you know, you can already get these, these uh, solutions and products in the market. But I think in the end, you can also be successful by just doing things uh, better or in a different way. And we felt that the way the market worked was not really, you know, um, innovative and not really catering to basically also the needs that people have. And maybe also the, the needs have changed in, in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that's how we went into the market, you know, with that direct-to-consumer approach. Um, no big brands, no big um, symbols here on the temple, but really the view uh, brand and the view products, very um, lean to um, uh, contemporary classic shapes. And that's uh, exactly what people wanted or people still want. Yeah. I think what's particularly interesting is that you had this personal frustration and also saw this market opportunity arising out of there. Mm -hmm. This was basically just a hypothesis that you had. So, hey, this might be a viable business, right? Yeah. How do you go about testing it to actually also confirm that there really is a market chance behind that? Yeah. I think there's a bit of a trade-off when, you know, testing these things. <clears throat> I mean, for us, I mean, obviously we also want to test things as, as early as possible. And at the same time, if you want to bring out an eyewear collection, I mean, you can't start with one frame only, obviously, right? So I think we did different uh, steps. So for example, um, Fabrice started to design the collection and we had a few shapes that were then lasered out of just some plastic. Mm -hmm. But it was just the front and we, uh, you know, we basically invited all our friends uh, for a little nice event. And we put the, you know, these fronts onto their faces to see if they fit. And we also asked them, hey guys, what do you think? Do you think, uh, would you buy it, right? And obviously our friends said, yeah, sure, I will buy it. Which they usually say because <laughs> they they're usually your friends, say, right? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can't really test the reality under these um, circumstances. But then I think the, the, the big goal for us was to go to the market as soon as possible. So we only needed like six, six, seven months until we launched the first collection. And that was then really the test if, uh, you know, what is happening. And once we um, basically went to the market, we also got super feedback. You know, the customers came and they said, nice product, um, nice offering, super attractive price, good service. That's uh, it's fantastic. But, and that's the, I think the big uh, but here in the story is that we started as an online business, right? So um, everything was online and we also thought in the beginning, okay, this market, we're going to disrupt it with an online model. So in two years from now, everyone will, will buy glasses online. And I think that was a 
a big fallacy, I guess, right? So it didn't turn out like that. But uh, I think we, we got the customer feedback and they said they liked the product, but they also said, um, isn't there a place where I can go to and, you know, just touch and feel the product and uh, maybe also ask some questions about my prescription and all these things. So we just noticed that people had a big uh, need for, you know, just some physical experience. Uh, that's when we started to, to get, go in, into that direction. How was that feedback given to you? Because you could also say these are just a couple of outliers. Uh, they will also like always be there, but we yeah. really focus on the internet distribution. Yeah. What made you really change and also open your own locations then? I think we tried out both things, right? So in the beginning, it was online, purely online. And we saw that people were interested, that they uh, wanted to try it out. But then we also did a pop-up store. So for just two weeks, we had a, a place where we showcased the collection. And there we really noticed that the, you know, the demand for, for the people is, is much stronger. So then they, I mean, people really you know, took the journey. It was more like a destination model that people said, okay, now there is a place where I can go and watch these products. So let, let me go there. And I also think that the numbers on that were pretty clear. Um, maybe you can also talk a bit about your first Saturday sale that you had there. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, so <laughs> we uh, had our first store, which was basically only a showroom in our office. And we had a, a big party the night before where we tried to mobilize as many people as possible. And it was a big party. I think the police came at least three times. <laughs> So that was good. And then the next day was a Saturday and, you know, we had so many people coming in, uh, people buying. And I think it was over 11,000 in revenue that we did on, on one day. And then we really started thinking, okay, hey, this is, this is crazy. So if this, if this is what people want, then let's give people what they need, right? And probably in, in two ways, right? One, the physical location, but the second also your, your business, like your, your eyeglasses, yep. that really people want the designs and love that. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's quite important to know that even though we then made the shift towards offline and build stores, I think online is still super important. Right? It's just that the customer journey that people start, their uh, research online, they have a lot of information. But at some point, there's just some uh, last things that they need to solve. And that's when they come to the store. They uh, want to ask about their prescription. They want to have a last, last touch and feel. Mm -hmm. And then they're ready to buy. Makes sense. I think that's also a very good explanation why you actually have this omni-channel strategy and not shift it from pure online to pure offline, but now offer both. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it, it's... Um, you can't say one is more important than the others. It's just um, two, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Absolutely. Another challenge that you actually had to resolve was actually finding your producer, your supplier to actually produce the glasses. Yeah. How did you tackle that? I mean, uh, basically like in the, in the textbook, I would say. So really university style, we went and did the research. Okay. Um, uh, so who's producing uh, glasses? And in the beginning, we thought, okay, we will go to China, right? And the source in China. But then we um, found out that basically there's an industry cluster uh, producing eyewear frames in uh, northern Italy, so in the, in the Dolomites. And for, for us, that was okay. Fabrice said, okay, Dolomites, handmade in Italy, that's great, let's go there. And we, uh, yeah, we took a trip and uh, basically visited as many suppliers as possible. Um, 
a lot of them were really open also to us because I think they lost a lot of business to uh, China in the previous year. So they were looking for new customers. And uh, actually, in, in, eventually we found our um, first supplier, which uh, was uh, or still is a family-run business, very high up in the mountains, uh, totally remote <laughs> family business, like the, the, the father and the daughter is, is, is uh, leading the company. Um, they were not the cheapest option, but they by far made the, the, the best quality. Uh, that's when we said, okay, we have to start with these guys because we want to have the best product. Mm -hmm. And so far, I mean, we still work with them quite a lot. We now have also other suppliers in the region, but it's still one of our main suppliers today. And we still have a very good relationship uh, with them also. Does that also give you another competitive edge, except for a very beautiful story and also, you know, the good quality? Are you also like faster, for example, or are there also any other adva advantages that you can play with that supply chain? Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> the way we, we set up the supply chain is, is you know, the, the benefits are not only in operations and supply chain, but also in the marketing, obviously. Because our glasses, what we say is Swiss design and had made in Italy. And I think that's, that's also one of the changes that we saw in the consumer, right? I think 10, 15 years ago, probably for them, it was not that important where is it made. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, at this point in time, people want to know where does this product come from? You know, um, uh, what's, uh, what's the sustainability aspect around it? Mm -hmm. And I think there we have, um, I think we have what, what people also need uh, and want, that, uh, a good story around it. And we also, not here, but in our stores, we also have, you know, images of our production facility in Italy. Nice. So you really play this emotional aspect yeah, too. sure. How do you actually come up with that slogan, you know, designed in Switzerland, but actually handmade in Italy? Was that there from the beginning or did that also evolve over time because you realized it's becoming more important? No, it was there from the beginning. Um, actually, a lot of people told us in the beginning it should be the other way around. Right, Swiss made and uh, you know <laughs> uh, Italian design, but <laughs> I think for us, uh, Fabrice is is a big fan of you know this handmade in Italy. And when you go there, you can also really observe you know the people they have done it their entire uh, life, and people are polishing the frames. You know how they treat the frames. It's really it's really beautiful, and we made movies about it and everything. And the Swiss design, I mean, we are here in the design lab. That's Fabrice's world. And I think that's one, if not the most important pillar of the brand, right? That eventually I think what people want is, is, is a nice uh, product. It's a nice, they want to, you know, look good with our glasses. And that's what we try to provide here. And you also heavily focus on this customer centricity and customer happiness by constantly monitor monitoring your net promoter score. Yeah. Can you tell us why this is the most important um, you know, KPI that you focus on and how you actually do that in daily life? Yeah. I think in the beginning when we started, you know, we um, had this office and also the showroom. And what was happening is it was just a, a wall, but not to the ceiling, but it was like a little free space. So when we were, you know, uh, working on the computers, we could also always hear what the customer 
we're discussing with our sales staff. Nice. That's a <laughs> good cool setup. Yeah, that's a good setup. So you have customer feedback instantly, right? Whether you want it or not. Yeah, <laughs> the good and the bad. So for us, I mean, it was that was just we, we were customer focused, and you know, once we grew out of that setting, we said, okay, we still want to know what people think about us. And that's when we set up the net promoter score. So we basically ask every customer who uh, bought glasses with us. So um, would you recommend view to a friend? And I think quite luckily, uh, we still do a good job there. And a lot of people are super happy with the experience. And why is it so important for us? I think for us, uh, the net promoter score or customer happiness is also a sign if we can grow more in the future. Because what happens and uh, what a lot of people do, they buy glasses from us and then they go out and talk about it. And I that, think that's another <clears throat> nice aspect about glasses is that, you know, it's in the middle of your face. So <laughs> if you go into the office or you, if you meet friends and family, people will ask you about it. And if you have a good story to tell, then you just tell that story. And that's uh, as long as people are, are so happy, uh, as we can see in the Net Promoter Score, they will also promote us in, in the future. And that will bring, that will bring us even more uh, customers in in the, in the next couple of weeks. That's a very smart marketing channel. <laughs> it's also one of the cheapest, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Is there a certain range that you, you know, tackle for or target in terms of net promoter score? Because it can range from minus 100 to plus 100, right? Yeah. Um, so our goal has always been to be above 80. Wow, that's and super high. Yeah, that's super high. And, uh, but we, I think throughout the, the last five years, we have always been uh, above that. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. That's a huge achievement. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm like blown away now. That's like, <laughs> that's very rare that you hear a net promoter score over 80. Yeah, it also, I mean, obviously it depends also a little on the industry. I mean, if you're a telecommunication company, then it's hard, right? Because people will only share their negative experiences. I think that's why probably View is also an emotional product. It's an emotional experience and people like to talk about it. Um, but still, you have to do a good job. And also you have to offer a, a, a great, you know, value to price ratio somehow. Because, I mean, if, if you're happy with a product, but it's also super expensive, will you talk about it? Maybe not so much. But I think that's just the, the combination of these things that really, you know, gives us these uh, scores. Absolutely. And when is actually the right time to ask for the net promoter score? Do you just do that right after they bought a product? Or when do you actually do that? A week after? What's the right timing here? Um, we changed it now. So in, uh, in the past, we, I think we asked three weeks later because with prescription glasses, you also need some time to adjust to that and to really um, grasp the entire experience. But what we changed last year is we ask at different points, right? So um, sometimes we ask them um, after they uh, bought immediately. Sometimes a bit later, um, we also ask them, you know, when they try out the product with the try at home, the packages that we ship back and forth. So also there, we, we ask them about their happiness. So then basically we have the customer journey and we can see, you know, how the happiness actually develops over these uh, different stages. Do you notice any difference according to the stages when you ask them? I think that the best experience we have or the best scores is uh, immediately after the purchase. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's when you have all the but that's the all the emotions, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the store, and uh, hopefully you have a nice uh, in conversation with the person there. So then, it's, everything comes together. Yeah. Got it. Makes sense. But you know, like building a startup and such a success story as you have created with you is not always, you know the best story and the easiest way to do, you mm -hmm. also face opponents and challenges along the way. Yep. So I would also like to talk a bit about these opponents because you basically also disrupted the market to a certain degree. Yep. What were the opponents along the way uh, over the past seven years that you faced? I think that the most or the best example probably are the other opticians. And I think it was funny that in the beginning we didn't have a lot of rea reactions, right? Because also people or the, the competition thought, okay, there's another startup coming up, let them see and let, let's see what, what happens to them. But I think then after we um, got a bit more traction, uh, we had that reaction. And especially the, the traditional opticians in the same neighborhood, they were quite harsh reactions sometimes. How, for example? Uh, for example, they were, you know, coming into the storming into the store basically and shouting at us. Okay. <laughs> You know, uh, that was uh, quite a character. Um, others did it a bit more, you know, a uh, bit more silently. But still, we got the reaction that they said, hey, actually, guys, you're destroying the market. You push the prices uh, down too much and you don't focus on quality and the services. Different things. Yeah. And how did he handle that back in these days? Because if you actually are in that position right there, that is to one degree a confirmation that you might be on the right yeah. path. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also pretty uncomfortable. And you might think these guys, they've been in the business for years. Yeah. Uh, they must know better maybe. I don't know. How did you yeah. deal with that situation? I think we tried to talk to them, right? And said, okay, guys, um, we, we're trying to do a business here. And um, eventually, the, as you said, the market is huge. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of people and customers that you can grasp. You just need to have a good and viable concept. And for us, I mean, we try to, to answer their questions. We try to, um, you know, answer their challenges. And also, at the same time, we also um, developed uh, quite a bit, I would say, right? In the beginning, we were more like the outsider that tried to do everything differently. And at some point, we also changed and became more like the other opticians. So, for example, the eye exam. In the beginning, we said... We don't do it. Um, as a customer, you have to bring it. And then, um, I mean, obviously that, with that, we lost a lot of customers because they were just not willing to do it. And at some point we said, okay, let's do it ourselves. I mean, why not? And so I think, yeah, probably also we developed and the other, um, the, the competition also um, adopted a little bit to our concept as well. And that's also something that you could see that some of the bigger players, they, um, they also looked at VU and thought, okay, these guys are doing a good job. And they also adopted some things that we did actually, right? So it was like, yeah, probably in both ways. Got it. And another opponent I could imagine were the middlemen that you basically cut out because you produce your own glasses directly and also sell them directly. Yep. Were there also any reactions from the middlemen? I mean, in, in that industry, and that's quite, <clears throat> that's quite special, it, it's basically only one big player, Luxottica, right? So it's really the, the titan in that market um, that controls a lot of these markets worldwide. 
But I think for them, we are just way too small to, for them to care. So for them, it was just, okay, it's fine. <laughs> Let them do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in, the, in, in this industry, it's actually growing, right? So uh, more and more people need glasses. Um, you know, uh, especially now also with uh, the, the smartphones and tablets and people uh, exposed to these devices all the time. We, we see that, you know, it's just uh, the, the share of the population needs glasses is increasing. And the ones who don't, they um, at some point, they need sunglasses. They, may, they might need reading glasses at some point. So I think basically we address everybody, right? And that's a very good market to be in as yes. a startup. Absolutely. I'd also like to talk about the other side, the supporters. Um, you had, or you still have, obviously, uh, very well-known investors on board. Um, can you also talk a bit about the way that they supported you from the early days where you also were financed with business angels yeah. um, and how it led to the state where you are today? I think in the beginning, um, we had to fund this uh, collection, this eyewear collection. And we knew, okay, this is going to cost more than we can uh, afford. So we were looking for um, investors from the beginning. And um, there were a few business angels and also that, that were like people in our network of friends of friends that we uh, addressed. And actually, I remember the conversation with the first investor that we had. And he is uh, an entrepreneur himself, a successful entrepreneur. And he said, guys, um, I don't wear glasses and I'm a bit skeptical about that um, optical idea, about that uh, startup that you want to do, but I believe in you as a team. So I invest 50,000. If you bring the other half, then you can start uh, the AG, basically, right? Exactly. And I think that was like the mindset a lot of, uh, of a lot of these business angels in the beginning. So they really believed in the team and said, okay, I'm sure you guys will do something successful. And I think that's the, the, the best support you can, you can uh, get, right? Absolutely. What did you do as a team to really you know, build this trust and also this credibility that you are a strong team? I think in the beginning, obviously, uh, we uh, had to get to know each other, obviously, but also with the trips to Italy and then you know, hanging out for, for you know, maybe weeks and being in the same hotel, maybe even in the same room, uh, we really grew together as a team. And uh, I think then for the investors, it was also good to see, for example, that Fabrice and Christian, that they started other companies before and that they really had a, a good insight into, um, into how to design things. And um, also on the other side, obviously the business side, we were trying to prepare everything as good as possible to basically all the support functions that this idea, you know, when it was ready to launch, that it will also then go uh, smoothly, right? Right. And was there also anything that, you know, where you showed specific progress towards the investors because they don't just meet you once and then they invest. Yeah, yeah. Usually they also want to observe you over a certain period of time and see what you're actually up to. Yeah. Was there anything in particular where you said, hey, this actually really helped to win them over as investors? Yeah. I think there were quite skeptical also regarding the valuation in the beginning. And we said, okay, guys, we don't know where it will go. Uh, you don't know. Let's just do a convertible round. So in the beginning, they invested money and then we had our first year business plan. And we said, okay, um, depending on where we come out, 
their share is higher or lower, right? And I think that was quite convincing. So they saw, okay, um, the risk is a bit lower. I mean, obviously you can still lose everything. Sure. But if uh, if they do a good job, then it's basically adjusted and balanced. Yeah. yeah, you basically put the incentives in the same boat, yeah. so yeah. to say. Yeah. Did you also invest your own money? Because you said they brought 50K, the first investor, and uh, you also had to invest yeah. your own money, right? Yeah, we also invested in. Yeah. So that was also part of uh, building trust, I could imagine. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. So I, I think for that investor in particular, he said, okay, here's my 50, you have to bring the other 50. But then also for, for further investors, we said, okay, look guys, um, we are willing to um, give in the money, but we're also willing to um, hand in basically our uh, work. So that's the second thing, obviously, because in the first one or two years, I think we worked for quite a low salary. Um, and that's also a sign to the investor, obviously, that you're willing to give up uh, basically a salary that you can earn in the industry, but really putting everything into the company. Absolutely. And also just a, a quick question towards the beginning of the podcast, where you yeah. said that, you know, you had the corporate jobs, basically you and Kilian. Did you also have some savings that you could live from uh, to start the company? Or was it really just the lowest salary that made it possible for you to basically buy or pay rent and food? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was, it was uh, we had some savings, you know, not huge, but um, that probably also is another advantage of first collecting some practical experience and then starting your own company. I think you're, um, you have you know, just some more experience and also a bit of savings to push you through that really difficult part in the beginning. And also other supporters uh, along the way were basically friends, not only the ones that gave you feedbacks, yeah. but also more famous friends that supported as brand ambassadors and so on. Maybe you can also talk quickly about how they supported your company in the early days. I think in the beginning, when you start a company, I mean, you, you need a lot of competence, right? I mean, um, from uh, design, photo shooting, and um, events, PR, accounting, HR. And we tried to really, you know, pull together all the, the, the resources that we had or we knew. So we had a friend, for example, that worked in taxes. So we asked him. Fabrice had um, access to people who did uh, work as, as photo models. So we used them, right? So I think it was really uh, the, the, the community that we were trying to build up. And a lot of them, they also contributed to the concept, right? And obviously, we, I mean, they didn't work for free, obviously. So we had to give them something. Sometimes it was money. Sometimes it was free glasses. Sometimes it was just being part of that nice uh, party. <laughs> so I think, yeah, in the beginning, you really have to uh, bring everything that you have on the table because you need good solutions in, in basically every aspect that you face. And in the beginning, it's really, like I said, back at Nobel, right? Um, a company consists of several departments. And as a startup, obviously, everything is much simpler, but you still need all these things, right? So you need finance, you need HR, you need ops, you need customer solutions. So that's, uh, yeah, you have to do it. And then when was like the, the certain point achieved where you said, okay, now we cannot like get that job done through our personal network, but mm -hmm. actually need to hire people like full-time, for example. Yeah. Was there a certain threshold where you said, okay, this was like the revenue that you did or the company size where that became a necessity? 
I think for us, it was really the, the revenue, right? That we saw that people are actually buying the glasses. So that was a super sign. But it also meant that um, money is coming into the, the company again, right? And that's really the point where we said, okay, now we can start think about it. And I mean, even in the beginning, when a customer ordered something, we had to do it ourselves, right? So pick up the phone or ordering the lenses and then even you know, basically shipping uh, the package off to the customer. And then at some point we had, a, a, you know, a couple of dozens orders a day. So we knew, okay, if we want to do our job actually and develop the company, then at some point somebody else needs to do these packages. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, obviously it helps if you have uh, revenue. Yeah. Obviously. But then I, I think it's also a good analogy that you basically go with the pain point as soon as you cannot like focus on your core yeah. business then it's time to hire someone sure. and not before. Yeah. Yeah. If we look at the current figures, uh, yeah. you have, I mean, it's really a crazy story just to tell. You have 400 employees. You sold 150,000 glasses alone last year. Uh, you are active in six countries and also operate 56 locations. I mean, these are just incredible numbers for us with startups. Yeah. Thanks. And I'm curious, like, what's next? What's in your pipeline? Where do you actually want to go? So basically it's, you know, we want to continue what we're doing. You know, I think it, the focus is really important and that's why we still uh, want to be really close to the customers and see, okay, do the, is the, the customer uh, appreciating or valuing uh, the, the concept or the product that we sell? And, you know, as soon as we can keep that, we can also um, continue expanding. Um, not necessarily now in, in a lot of new markets. I think, as you said, that uh, even the Swiss market is huge. But then think about Germany, which is uh, much, much bigger. And there, there's so much potential still in all these markets. And I mean, even if we get a tiny share of the market, eventually we're going to be super successful. And that's, I think, also the nice part about being in the optical industry. And also one question, why did you expand across Europe and not to the United States, for example? Was that ever a topic on your map? I think we discussed it at some point, obviously, but um, as I said, focus, right? Um, focusing on the things that are really working and um, where you can have a, an impact. And I think the US would have been too big of a step because also the optical industry is still quite local, right? So if we go into a certain city, you need to build up the store, you need to send people there, you need to hire people, you need to build up a relationship with the customers in that city. And I'm not sure if you can do it um, in California, for example, from Zurich. Right. So then you would need to have a big investment and really set up an entire entity over there. Who knows? Maybe a, a topic Maybe at to some tackle point. in the yeah. future. Yeah. <laughs> Before we finish the episode, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, I give you just a choice of two options and yeah. you make one choice to quickly explain why you made that choice. Are you ready? Sure. More revenue or higher net promoter score? Higher net promoter score, because it will bring you more revenue. That's, I think that's <laughs> the right answer. Wealth or happiness? Happiness. No. Why? I think um, happiness is just uh, much more important and uh, money can't buy happiness eventually. Experience or expertise? Expertise, yeah. I think um, just uh, that's probably what we do when we hire people. Mm -hmm. We want to see if they can do the job, 
right? Right. So just because someone comes in with 25 years of experience doesn't mean that's, that he or she has the right expertise to do the job. Right. And how do you actually check for expertise if they actually really have what you're looking for? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the, the big challenge to uh, when you do recruiting, that you need to assess a person in a very short period of time. And I personally, I try to understand what drives people. You know, what drives people to get up in the morning and then come to the office? I think that's a very important part. And I think the second thing that you can do is also talk to um, people that they worked with in the past. I mean, obviously, they will always tell you the nice stories, but you still can feel, you know, what actually happened there. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is actually a very spontaneous additional uh, yeah. rapid fire question. What drives you? Why do you get up in the morning? I get up uh, basically because my kids uh, wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no choice. I have no choice. I have to get up. <laughs> and then I spend some time with my kids. But at some point, I also get a bit nervous because I want to do things. I want to change things. And that's when I go to the office or home office now in the Corona times. No, I think it's really, you know, the original idea that we had to really disrupt that market and bring something better to the market, that still holds true for now, right? That uh, we still want to um, bring that concept to people who haven't, don't know view yet, uh, but who are super happy once they, they leave the store. And that's also something that I tell uh, our employees all, all over again. I mean, if you go into the store and you see a hap the happy face of a customer who picks up his or her fine glasses, I mean, that's basically the reason we are here, right? To make these people happy. I think that's a beautiful sentence to end the episode. Peter, thank you so much for your time you. and the wonderful insights. And we are very curious to see if we uh, will see ever a view store in the United States. Let's see. All the best <laughs> for the future and thank, thank you. you for your time. Thank you, guys. Before you go, just a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode was brought to you by SPB Startup. The Swiss Railways recently launched their own startup program. If you think that your company or your idea is a good fit to the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them at spbstartup.com. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.